The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Brian D. Estelle. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to pause now from uh, our duties and the burdens um, that weigh down upon us as students and profs and administration. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us that posture uh, without which no one can understand truth, um, especially from your revealed word. Uh, namely, that we might have reverence and humility before you and before it. Uh, we ask once again and plead with you that this would be the case and that you would meet with us, uh, that you would edify us, uh, that you would lift us up and help us to rejoice. And Lord, as you grant success in this, we'll uh, make sure that the glory redounds to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're uh, beginning our series in the book of James uh, this semester. So I get the privilege of taking the first few uh, verses because the dean and students owed me a favor. And um, so we'll look at verses uh, 1 through 4, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to that. Uh, This is James, verses 1 through 4, chapter 1. So James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the diaspora, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you fall in with various kinds of trials, knowing or because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And let endurance have its uh, perfect effect in order that you may be perfect and whole, lacking in nothing. Uh, That's the reading of God's Word. Let me say a few introductory comments about the book of James, uh, since we're plunging in, parachuting into a new book, hopefully to set up and frame uh, further discussions throughout the semester about this. I won't comment at length, but the opening of James should not be read uh, too Quickly, every word is chosen deliberately. Uh, Notice that James, uh, there's been a lot of options suggested for who this James was. I think the best is that he is the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the chief leader in Jerusalem, uh, who is pinning this uh, letter. Uh, Notice he identifies himself as a servant of his brother now, whom he's come to realize is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. It's an Old Testament designation. Primarily, he considers himself as standing in the train and in the wake of a long list of Old Testament prophets and leaders. Uh, And so he takes this apostolic designation upon his own lips very seriously. He's a converted uh, Jew. He's a Christian Jew. Notice he addresses the diaspora, uh, the 12 tribes here, Uh, in the diaspora, Um, and then he gives a standard 
uh, both secular, uh, used in secular Greek letters and also in Christian letters, so for example, Acts 15, uh, greetings, uh, standard uh, kind of uh, reading at the beginning of the letter. And then I want to address three points this morning, what these trials are to which he alludes, and then what your response should be, and then the reason James says your response should be the way it is. So first of all, what the trials are, and then what your response uh, should be, and then the reason why. Well, first of all, James wants to address his entire audience. No one escapes his address. These trials are of manifold kinds. They're inward and outward. How do I justify that claim? Because he uses the same word a little later on in verse 12 uh, to refer to inward temptations and trials, and then further delineates these as of a manifold and various kinds. Uh, so these are the kinds of trials that we experience in our pilgrimage of all sorts and variety. Nobody escapes his address. So he's talking to mothers and fathers who are sick of raising these little darlings and leaving the cat in the hat 13 times over and not even being able to go to the bathroom anymore without uh, company there by the toilet. Um, and uh, finally laying down at night with your head hitting the pillow but too tired to even have an adult conversation. He's talking to parents trying to raise um, youth for whom uh, they would give their right leg or arm uh, lying in front of a freight train uh, for them. Um, and yet, um, often uh, experiencing trials of unsuccess or wandering and waywardness or rebellion. He's talking to teenagers as well. Uh, there's none here, but important to say that he'd be addressing them as well. Uh, so all these parents were wondering what happened to their little darling that they'd give their right arm for, who's now seemingly gone off to Mars and not sure whether they're going to come back. You know, this young, growing, budding, uh, fledgling uh, person developing independently, and yet uh, teens, we so often forget, our own teenage years feel as though they're not listened to, and every time they speak, they're asked to be quiet and uh, listen to those in authority. He's talking to the sick and dying, those hammered by disease, or perhaps a slow death of mental dementia, or perhaps uh, the injured and the infirm, uh, all experiencing physical maladies of some kind. He's talking to those filled with grief, who have lost a loved one, or perhaps grief in another form, um, lost a, a spouse um, who has left, or um, lost a hope for opportunity, a hope for ambition that now is realized will never be uh, fulfilled. He's, in light of the internal, external trials, and often those play off each other, don't they? Uh, internal trials give way to external frustration External trials give way to internal agony and frustration. Um, talking to those who are sorely tempted, perhaps with some kind of besetting sin or temptation. Those wandering eyes uh, that we all know um, 
quickly uh, come over us, those glances outside the bounds of propriety, those times when we've experienced out of control anger, overambitious goals, incipient pride, hidden racism, loose tongues. Uh, he's talking to all those who cry out in this bondage of decay and death to which we've been subjected. Oh Lord, who will save me uh, from this situation? He's talking to everyone in the room with various trials and temptations. Um, I've been ordained over a quarter of a century now. I've taught at the university or seminary for over a quarter of a century now. I, I think I've heard a wide array of trials and temptations of manifold kinds. Uh, people, to quote the poet, slammed uh, by the darts of horrendous uh, fortune. As one author said, life can be counted on to provide all the pain that any of us might need. And that is for sure. Uh, or for readers of Kohelet, uh, we know that even uh, the best of days are but a veil of tears this side of the fall, if we're honest. Um, known trials, unspoken trials. Uh, unspoken trials and temptations that I'm sure uh, fill the room uh, thickly uh, now, even though no one may even know uh, about the trials that are closest to your heart. And James is a straight shooter. Before he even gets into talking about the origination of these trials, before he even gets into talking about so-called theodicy, the justification of God's ways before men, uh, because he will address that issue uh, further on in the letter, Right out of the box, he wants you to get your attitude and posture straight. And he says something that is so radical. <laughs> I mean, pause and think about this. Count it all joy. None of us has a natural inclination to rejoice in our trials. That's just not human nature. Uh, most of us dig in our heels. Most of us shake uh, against our various trials and uh, tribulations. Uh, he's not a football coach. He's not telling you to run another 40 or 10. He's not telling you as a swim coach to do more laps of um, butterfly. Uh, he's not a therapist. Uh, if a therapist has told you when you share their trials, well, just rejoice. That might be construed as abuse. But he doesn't say that. Pause and think. He says something that is transcendent and otherworldly. When trials come your way as a Christian, you should rejoice. And then he tells you why. Because God is using them to work in you a character trait that you need a virtue that you need, perseverance, steadfastness, so that you might attain to or grow, grow towards the goal, goal of perfection. Uh, that's what he says, and so he's telling you something that is so different from what you would hear in the world, because you know something. It appeals to probably known doctrine in the church. You know that God is using this for your good. 
to perfect your Christian character. And you need to have this Christian character. So what should your response be? I not fix the problem like most American males would rush to do, um, rather to rejoice, but not a kind of Christian uh, joy that would mimic the world, the rugged individualist or the stoic who wouldn't wear his emotions on his sleeve, the tough guy who would say, I'll be all right, uh, you know, no problem, uh, despite you know, what I'm going through or what my loved one is going through or what somebody in the community is going through. No, this is a joy from above. This is a transcendent joy. This is the in-game joy. This is the eschatological joy, so to speak. This is the heavenly joy that breaks in on our existence that the world can't explain or have a reason to even justifiably rejoice in the trials. Um, this is the kind of joy our Lord talked to in this, uh, about in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, for James, the only proper perspective on your trials when they come your way and they have come your way, they will come your way, they are coming your way. Seminarians aren't, um, you know, um, absent from trials and tribulations of all manifold kind. You're to rejoice. Why? Well, James tells you. Because you know something. You know uh, the teaching of the church. You know the teaching of uh, God's word that you should have a settled conviction about this, namely, that God is producing steadfastness in you. He's going to use the same word of Job up in chapter 5, verse 11, and patience is not a good translation. Um, when he talks about the steadfastness of Job, he's going to use the word in the Second Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of of Christ. Same word. What's interesting there is that's a fortitude that comes because of union and communion with Christ. Therefore, you can have joy and you can grow in steadfastness. You see, these trials and these tests are given for a purpose, namely that they may work in you a character trait and not just behavior. James is concerned about your moral status, not just your moral actions. And so he says, count it all joy, because God is working in you steadfastness, so that you may grow up into perfection. Why? Well, who would you rather have flanking you uh, in the heat of battle in a firefight? A battle-tested soldier or somebody fresh out of boot camp? Or maybe a better metaphor. Um, the purified metal is more useful, more beautiful, more aesthetically attractive. It's been refined as opposed to the raw material. And the apostle doesn't stop there. He says this character quality of constancy and fortitude that's being worked in you by these trials 
producing character itself is to have its perfect result uh, so that you may fall short in nothing. Now, there we see a theologically loaded word. Uh, we all know that the New Testament doesn't teach perfectionism. Um, so what is James doing here? He's not referring to perfect even in a relative sense, like Job and Noah are called perfect and full of integrity, rising head and shoulders above their peers, having tamim and tzaddik, righteousness. He's not even talking about that kind of perfection. No, I think he's doing something even uh, deeper and more sublime. I think he's making an allusion to his brother, his Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, remember what the writer to Hebrews says. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. See, what does the apostle mean when he says, let endurance have its perfect result, that you might fall short in nothing. Well, obviously, he's referring to our goal, not our present possibility of perfection. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why does God want them preached pointedly? Uh, first, so that the longer we live, the more we may know, come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. And second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving, be renewed more and more after God's image, until after this life we reach our goal, colon, perfection. That's the goal for us. But for Jesus, he was perfect. So James is intending to draw our attention to his own earthly brother, namely his Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, In the day of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So to situate that passage in its context, this all has to do with Christ's qualifications and the criteria for being the perfect high priest, the quintessential high priest. Here the focus is not so much on the negative factor of his preparation, in other words, that he resisted temptation. Here in Hebrews, the author is drawing our attention to the positive side. He learned obedience. As Voss says, Christ learned obedience in order to become the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. And thus he prepared for his office, not only by acquaintance with weakness, but also by exercise of strength. See, Christ learning obedience is not acquiring something new, not growing up into the goal of perfection. It signifies bringing out into the present conscience experience of action perfection, obedience at each turn, never sin. 
your Savior overcame the natural disinclination to suffer. Your Savior and sympathetic high priest refused a choice of joy proposed to him, and instead he joined in a contest for you and for me and became our champion by identifying himself with an extreme expression of human wretchedness and suffering. So that you and I, through his obedience given to us and his righteousness imputed to us, can now count it all joy when we suffer. Because what Christ has done is our glory. Because we know that God is now desiring and working in us to produce a character of heroic endurance. Praise be uh, to God. So James does not venture into the various problems posed by the vexing questions uh, of the origination of these trials. So I leave it to my colleagues to unpack that in the future. Uh, but what James does is he wants you, he speaks straight to you. In Israel, they call uh, this form of speech, Hebrew speech. Israelis, uh, there's no messing around. You get the real thing when you talk to an Israeli. Uh, just straight at it, Hebrew speech. And that's like James. This is a simple application. Whatever your trials are, whatever they will be, whatever the temptations are, whatever they will be, as severe as you can even imagine. And some of you, in even recent weeks and months, have gone through that calvary of trial. your heavenly father wants you to know that he is with you in the end of the age. And because of what your sympathetic high priest has done for you, amazing, sublime command, you can count it all joy and trials for you. Because Christ and God are at work in you, producing a character trait that is not an option for you, that you must have as you pilgrimage towards the heavenly city. He is shaping your character all along. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, your word. Um, when we pause and we listen to it in its forthrightness and its directness, and we think about the messages we hear in the world, um, how profoundly different is the message you have for us. Father, thank you for the work of Christ. Thank you for the exercise of strength which he practiced 
and to the end, for he suffered his whole life long, but especially at the end of the catechism says. And we thank you that he did this for us. So, Father, by your grace, may we rejoice when our trials and temptations come, even throughout this semester, both in and outside of school. And, Father, as we see this grace in us, as others remark and record that they see this grace in us, once again, we plead with you, you would also give us the grace uh, to point uh, our finger uh, to our faithful Savior and sympathetic high priest. And give him the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2022, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.